0: You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast.
1: This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by listeners like you, supporters on Patreon. Join us today for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord at patreon.com slash mission log.
0: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 496, Before and After.
2: Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry
1: Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we look at an episode of Star Trek, forwards and backwards, backwards and forwards, looking for morals, meanings, and messages and asking ourselves whether it stands the test of time. This week, before and
2: after, the one where Kess's life literally flashes before. And after her eyes proving in any temporal reality, she'll always have Paris. We'll have trivia in a moment, but first, a word on how to reach us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlogatroddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Rodden Bear YouTube channel.
1: And now, here's John Champion with this week's trivia. All right. Well, today's episode, Before and After, was written by Kenneth Biller. Not a surprise to see his name on the list. And we most recently covered his story, Unity. And it should also come as no surprise that he wrote another cast-centric story, Elogium. This was directed by Alan Croker. Now, here's a name that you should remember since Alan directed a baker's dozen of episodes for DS9, including the series finale, just as he did many season finales as well. He's kind of the closer like that. Well, now he makes his debut as a director on Voyager, and we will see him exactly 12 times more. Nice symmetry with his career there, where he will also stay true to his reputation of closing out seasons. Seasons and the full series. We have a number of guest stars to look at. It's time to meet the Kess family, current and alternate timelines included. There's Kess's daughter, Linus, played by Jessica Collins, and she's an actor who easily transitioned from live theater to TV and back again. Early in her career, she appeared in soap operas like All My Children and Loving, where she did more than 400 episodes. She studied at the Royal National Theater in London, not to mention the Cordon Bleu, so she is also quite a chef. TV and film roles racked up with some impressive titles like Spielberg's Catch Me If You Can and another stint of more than 400 episodes of A Soap, this time on The Young and the Restless. Kess's grandson, Andrew, is played by Christopher Aguilar, and he started young with onstage roles, which quickly led to TV and film, including a recurring gig on Boston Public and guest appearances on everything from Shameless to Mike and Molly, true detective. What's interesting to know for our audience is that Christopher also worked as an actor at Star Trek The Experience for the final couple of years of its run, and recently he has been working in the area of mental health. Young Kess in Flashback is played by Jana Michaels. As a child actor, Jana got her break providing her voice for the animated series Tailspin for Disney. She soon got a series regular role on What a Dummy and worked for the rest of the 90s, both on screen and as voice talent. This episode of Voyager comes toward the end of her professional on screen career, followed only by a short recurring role on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Back on Ocampa, not so long ago, there's Kes's parents, Benarin and Martis, played by Michael L. McGuire and Rachel Harris, respectively. While Michael's on-screen resume isn't quite that long, with the occasional TV guest role here and there, his on-stage credits are really where he's best known. He was working variously as a singing waiter and sometime troubadour at the Colonial Williamsburg theme park. Then he switched gears to become a stockbroker, but his big break came when he originated the role of Angelas on Broadway in Les Miserables. That got him a Tony Award and a long association with the musical, reprising the role through the 90s. Finally, Michael switched to law as a career and he practices to this day in California. And Rachel Harris, like many others this week, also started out in theater, and when she moved to L.A. became a member then a teacher at the famous Groundlings Improv Comedy School. Early credits included Sequest DSV, Sister Sister, and voice work on a number of animated projects. Feature film appearances include The Hangover, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and multiple of the Christopher Guest mockumentaries. She even puts her improvisational skills to use on shows like Curb Your Enthusiasm, Party Down, and a favorite of mine, Reno 911. She's a regular on the series Lucifer. And thus far, this is Rachel's only Star Trek appearance.
0: Hopefully everyone got through that with a minimum of confusion. See, it's a good thing I warned you at the beginning of the show.
2: Prologue. A patient looks up at a fully follicled EMH from the isolation biobed in sickbay. The EMH shoes away a young Ocampan woman wearing a sciences uniform and an even younger half-asian Ocampan. Shortly after, the EMH confesses that his patient is the finest friend he's ever had. After a brilliant flash of light... The half Asian Okampan boy from earlier approaches the bio bed again, and he's brought a present for his grandmother. His grandmother, Kes. Act 1. Kes does not recognize the young boy who is apologizing profusely for the tardiness of his present. It is clear he loves his grandmother dearly, even though Kes has no idea who he is. The frightened boy calls out for Dr. Van Gogh, the EMH, who Kes also doesn't recognize at first. The EMH sends the boy to bring his family to sickbay, as Captain Chakotay appears to check in on Kess's progress. The EMH admits that her Ocampan physiology could be the cause of a great deal of what is happening to her, but he has no baseline of comparison, since she is the only Ocampan of her age on record and on Voyager. What they do know is that Kess's memory is as if it were wiped clean and possibly from what the EMH believes is the Ocampan Morologium the biotemporal chamber the EMH mentioned earlier may be the only way to save Kess. However, after complaining about a sudden change in her temperature, a flash of light surrounds Kess and she's transported to her quarters where the younger Ocampan woman and her grandson Andrew from before are waiting for her even though she barely knows who they are. As Andrew leaves to fetch his grandfather and father, Linus reminds Kess that she is her daughter and tries to comfort her confused mother as she escorts Kess to sickbay. When Tom and Harry arrive, Kess doesn't recognize her own husband, even after Tom's stern reminder of who he is to her. The EMH explains that the Morologium, the stage where no compin is coming closer to their own death, may be the cause of Kess's amnesia. However, Kess protests her condition and demands to be heard and not coddled. Her grandson, Andrew, seems to be the only person who believes Kess, and as the EMH examines her, Kess's temperature drops again, and after another flash of light, she's transported to the mess hall, where Neelix and the crew are celebrating her ninth birthday. Act 2. Security officer Neelix hands Kess a piece of a birthday cake as she sets her sights on her grandson, Andrew, who seems to be the only person she trusts. She asks him to tell her exactly what he did before coming to the party and his description of her gift or rather lack thereof, which proves to Kest that something is in fact wrong and with how she is moving through time itself. She finally confides in the EMH and demands his utmost discretion as she confesses what she believes is happening to her. And when she references the biotemporal chamber... That is when the EMH truly believes what Kess is saying, because no one should have any knowledge of what at this time is just a kernel of an idea the EMH has been toying with. Later in sickbay, Tom, Chakotay, and the EMH are theorizing what could be causing Kess's memories to be so fragmented. The Morologium and Temporal Paradox are suspect. But Kess believes her memories to be intact, just out of sync with everyone else's, which leads the EMH to believe that Kess has somehow gained precognition, the ability to see things before they happen, and quite possibly because of how the Morologium is affecting her natural gifts in telepathy and telekinesis. Kess also believes that if she can investigate her own medical files and personal records, they might give her insight into what may have happened. In their quarters, Tom and Kess discuss how they came to be married. Tom recounts a very painful memory of Voyager's recent past, which he refers to as the Year of Hell. Voyager was attacked by a race called the Krenim, who used specialized chroniton torpedoes that existed outside of normal time and were able to penetrate Voyager's shields. Captain Janeway and Bellana Torres were both killed, as were many others. Tom continues and tells Kess that everyone aboard Voyager were exposed to chroniton radiation poisoning from an unexploded torpedo lodged in Voyager's hull. Kess fixates on this detail and believes that this radiation exposure may hold the key to what's happening to her, but before she can act, her temperature drops again, and after a flash of light, she's surrounded by Tom, Harry, and Linus, holding a baby boy, and is noticeably younger. After confirming the star date, she and Tom seek out the EMH. She then explains the pattern of events of what has happened to her, which is confirmed by her elevated levels of chronoton radiation. The EMH believes that Kes is traveling backwards through time. Later in the briefing room, he explains to the command staff that his attempt in the future to reduce KESS's aging process accidentally activated her latent chronoton particles, causing her to jump backwards in time. The only way to stop Kess from jumping further and further backwards, perhaps even beyond her own existence, is to find the temporal variance of the undetonated torpedo's chronotine radiation when the Krenim attacked. Act 3. Kess and Linus are in sickbay, working on a solution to Kess's situation, but also catching up on some lost time between daughter and mother. Suddenly, the EMH barges in, but with great news of a possible solution to Kess's situation. And before they leave, Kess assures Linus that she will be a wonderful mother, sharing what little she knows about the future Andrew. In Sick Bay, Kess is confined within a stasis field in the surgical bay as Tom arrives. Surprised to hear Kess refer to the EMH as Dr. Van Gogh, while knowing he's been entertaining Mozart as a possible name, Thomas wages suages fears with a story of how Harry spilled champagne all over his dress uniform during the best man's toast at Tom and Kess's wedding. Linus arrives with some data, but not before Kess's temperature drops again. And after yet another flash of light, Kess finds herself giving birth in a shuttlecraft as Tom delivers the baby, chastising her all the while for being in no condition to join Tom on a routine supply mission. However, Tom discovers that Voyager is under attack and after they dock and meet with Neelix on a severely damaged Voyager, Kess realizes that it's the Crenum. She is in the year of hell time frame that Tom told her about earlier in their quarters. In a moment of calm in the mess hall, Kess explains all of this to Chakotay, but he regrets that the EMH has been offline for weeks and can't help her, nor can they spare the parts or manpower to build a biotemporal chamber. Just then, she time jumps again to the holodeck, where she finds Tom, and very much involved with Balana. However, a red alert cuts their reunion of sorts short as they all head to the bridge. Captain Janeway is alive, and they have just been fired on by the Krenim. As the first wave of Chronoton torpedoes hit, Kess tells B'Elanna and Janeway about the tactical nature of these torpedoes, but their conversation is cut short as a second volley explodes Balana's engineering console, killing her and Captain Janeway in the process. Act 4. After confirming what Kess said, Chakotay assumes command and looks for options on how to stop the Krenum from their next attack. He implores Kess to tell him what she knows and she advises Chakotay to remodulate their targeting scanners. Harry confirms that this has the best chance of success. Chakotay orders Tuvok to open fire and with a direct hit, Voyager's firepower destroys the Krenum ship. Later in the mess hall, Tom, Neelix, and Kess help the wounded in triage who can be helped and what can be repaired. Kess takes a moment to comfort Tom, who is numb with grief after helplessly watching Balana die just moments earlier. Neelix tells Kess that several crewmen are suffering from chronitone radiation sickness, which crystallizes this moment in her mind as the apex of how and when everything changed. She has to find the unexploded torpedo that is emitting this radiation, which will poison the crew, her included. With a specific temporal variance, the very same that will be triggered by the EMH's biotemporal chamber in the future, causing Kesta phase backwards through time. She finds the torpedo and succumbs to its radiation, but not before discovering its temporal variance at 1.47. She jumps once again, and at this time, the doctor no longer has hair, but she does tell him about the chronoton temporal variance which fulfills her mission, sort of. Now the race is on to prevent Kess from completely phasing out of existence of her own creation through the use of the EMH's biotemporal chamber. However, before being placed in the chamber, Kess tells Janeway about the Krenim, who Voyager must avoid at all costs. Once in the chamber, as the EMH tries to stabilize her chronoton count, Kess suffers a series of temporal jumps. Once back to when she and Neelix first arrive on Voyager, where she pleads with Janeway to listen to her outlandish explanation, which Janeway entertains, the other jump comes shortly after to when Kess is a much younger girl who tries to explain to her father that she's traveling backwards in time. Act 5. Young Kess's story falls upon her father's not completely unsympathetic ears, but there's nothing to be done as Kess suffers time jump after time jump after time jump, taking her further back into her own creation as she witnesses her own birth, her existence in her mother's womb, her conception, and then nothing. But the chronoton radiation stabilization worked as her timeline began to accelerate forward just as rapidly. Once again, through her conception, to her birth, to her youth, and finally to the moment when in Voyager's sickbay, she comes to, and the EMH confirms that she is as old as she ought to be in the here and now, three years and two months. All of this is happening under the watchful eyes of the EMH and a very alive and well Balana and Captain Janeway. Later in Club Bro Med, Kess is bombarded by questions about the future, to which she and Tuvok allude that what she experienced are only possible futures that can happen but aren't set in stone. Kess does, however, promise to tell Janeway as much as possible about the Krenim in the hopes that they can avoid them and that possible year of hell. Kess sets out to write her report, leaving her own party, glibly telling her friends that all of the things she's learned from this most recent experience— that there's no time like the present. The end.
1: Nicely done, Norman. Thank you for getting us forwards and backwards through before and after. Greatly <laughs> appreciated that. There's, uh, a lot, there's a lot of jumping around to do there. My capacitor know. was indeed fluxed. <laughs> It's, it's one of those episodes that needs a couple of views yeah. to take it all in and get all those different uh, time periods straight. But uh, let's take it in order, shall we? I, I really like how immediately and Alan Croker makes a visual choice here, which he, he doesn't even necessarily have to. But the layer upon layer of things that tips the audience off that something is wrong because you got the fisheye lens. Mm-hmm. You got it from the POV. On the uh, examination table. Right. There are new people around who we don't know. And the EMH has hair. He has that magnificent, impressive, might I say Shatner-esque hair on his head. You may indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It, it does set up like the, what is going on mm-hmm. right now? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I love the EMH. I love that he has hair. I love that he mm-hmm. kind of like found his own name.
0: but. Yeah.
2: Do sentient holograms actually need peace and quiet to perform operations, or can't they just turn that distraction off in their programming?
1: They should be able to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you just you create. It's like having the best noise canceling headphones in the world. You just right? switch on that negative sound wave, and then perfect, you're, you're golden. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I do like the continued weirdness that you have, Captain Chakotay, and no explanation this early mm-hmm. on. As to why. Very cool. Yeah. I liked seeing the pips. I did look. Yep. I'm like, yeah, they changed that yeah.
2: pips, which is good. Uh-huh. Yeah. I know that this the mileage may vary on this for a lot mm-hmm. of people, but for the time, for the 90s when this was done, I thought that mm-hmm. Kess's aged makeup held up.
1: It was good. Yeah. It, it, it is a little mask-like, but... I like that we have so many different versions of her at different ages. And yeah, I I thought it worked well. You know, For the, the time frame, yeah. yeah, yeah, and the performance gets to come through. That's yeah. really important. Mm-hmm. You know, the doctor has so many great lines in this episode, but early on, now he says, uh, re- referring to that bio bed, it's a completely revolutionary procedure. I have no idea if it'll work, and that just doesn't sound like the usual level of confidence out of the EMH. <laughs> you know, no. so uh, we we get some different takes later on. He's like know? Samson: the longer his hair, the weaker he gets. Maybe. That you might know? be it. When we cut to Kess's quarters, I'm a little disappointed at the distinct lack of space sheets or space pillows. None to be seen anywhere. Well just kind of very normal. Yeah, we know? never really saw the before or after of the the decor in her course. That's true. Yeah. yeah, you would think if Tom Paris has moved in, it's just going to be space pillows everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I do like the the word they created for this, the morologium, right. which is a nice connection to that word elogium. But then, kind of the French Latin, the preface more mm-hmm. like death. I really cool use of language there, and um, I. <laughs> my god I love 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 they just don't wait we have the double reveal of Tom as Cass's husband and Harry as Linus's husband just back to back we're not even slowing down for you to take this in right I had to pause and I had to do some quick algebra
0: okay. just to get just Good. to
2: understand Good. where we were with this because yeah, yeah that mm-hmm. kind of threw me for a loop for a second but again we're dealing with Ocompan physiology which plays a huge part like, in oh, the yeah. subtext of what's happening. Yeah. Um, but Tom is her husband. So let's go back to parturition. So is parturition mm-hmm. to Tom and and Kess as resolutions is to Chakotay and Janeway? <laughs>
1: ah, I, this show keeps trying to have it both ways. Just unresolved? And yes, yes you know? I think so.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think you're right. Okay, so... I always cringe when mm-hmm. the uh, For He's a Jolly Good Fellow, or in this case, for the She's a holly, Jolly Good Fellow song yeah. comes on, like, for a happy... Like, why not just sing Happy Birthday? Yeah, uh, right,
1: right. Uh, unless... Yeah. Well, wait, is Happy Birthday still copyright? Can you, it, you know, I don't know it, if you can do that.
2: Yeah, and I mean, yeah. or
1: anything else. It's just...
2: Yeah. It's just a strange...
1: It, it is know, weird. It's a little choice. jarring when yeah. you hear that, you know. I'm waiting until either the Beatles' happy birthday falls into public domain one year or a Shonen Knife' happy birthday falls into uh, public domain one day, and we'll get to restripe all of this yeah, with that. I hope yeah. so. Um, now, I, I, even though we had a lack of space pillows, uh, we do have, I, I think, I'm going to go ahead and call it, we have a space cake here. It's very spacey. It's not just a normal cake. It was also spicy? Was it a spice cake? Uh, Well, it had a fudge, which knowing Neelix could very well have had a spiciness to it. Mm -hmm. So it could have been a spicy space cake. Yeah. Spicy space cake. I dig it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I dig the alliteration.
2: Speaking of Neelix, there's a really interesting Neelix scene here. So I love the reference of the old, like the one lung, the lung that Cass gave. Yes. And now she only has one lung. So, you know, she can only blow the candles out so quickly, I guess. Yeah. The use of the nickname Cassie from Neelix really (laughs) grated my cheese. Yeah. (laughs) Because never in the history of ever has he used that so far. Um, It's always been sweeting or,
1: not Kessie. So Yeah, which I, I never liked sweeting either and yeah. then Kessie I'm just I'm a hundred percent opposed to. Yeah, like literally like all of the hairs on my body just kinda like just
2: <laughs> shut up. Um and again, watching Tom and Kess together in front of Neelix, this
1: was like it's like part tradition, part duh. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Strange. Well, we're in that party, uh, and the, the EMH just walks up to Kess and Andrew. Andrew, stop monopolizing your grandmother's time. Right. Dude, dude, you're a hologram. Settle down. You have all the time <laughs> in the world, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: even though, uh, you know, it's, a contri- it's kind of like a contrived party, but mm-hmm. I love how the mess hall, just like seasons like one, maybe 1. 1.5 to into two, I like how they fill the mess hall with just a bunch of
1: extras and uniforms. It feels like a ship.
2: like yeah. it, it feels
1: like a crew, you know? Yeah, way, way more than for uh, Janeway's memorial service. Right? <laughs> Come on. And, you know, and that's something that I felt like DS9 always got better, uh, it, better than TNG, better mm-hmm. than Voyager. It's just feeling like it's lived in, getting yeah. people milling around, doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, you've mentioned it a couple of times. I'm sure that I'll mention it a couple of times. But the whole parturition, Tom, Neelix, Kess, that triangle. When Tom just blurts it out and says, well, I had quite a crush on you from the beginning. Like, just... Dude, I, that makes me uncomfortable now. Mm-hmm. Hearing that because I, I I tried to leave all that stuff in the past, and I know that this we're, we're dealing with an alternate timeline here. I get it, but he's still referring to things that happened before this alternate timeline started. So, right. still creeps me out a little bit. Again, yeah. it's a, it's one of those unresolved story threads from Part which we thought
2: was resolved. But hey, you know, yeah. it, is it ever in Star Trek? Yeah. Uh, one of the things I do like uh, in this episode, and this is something that we've talked about before, is I'm like, we like that uh, Kess has stood up for herself in the past, you know, even amidst a lot of kind of like the, you know, the influence, the pushiness, the gaslighting of like her male companions. Mm-hmm. And I love how she says, well, Paris says this, he says, we'll do everything we can to help you. And Kess says, I'd like to do something to help myself. I love yeah. that she's, she's taking charge of like of her own, you know, of her own story. Right. Uh, and and she's always given that opportunity uh, to make that, to be self-aware and to make that yeah. and to give that agency for her character. I love that. I love that it was in here for that.
1: Yeah, that is very nice to see. And uh, by the way, I, I hope you noticed that we found out that in this timeline, Joe Carey died. Along with Bolana and Janeway. Sad. Like, yeah, we, we know Jane Janeway and Bolana are, but, but Joe Carey. I mean, and I just, I hope that at that last minute, somehow, that Bolana got in one more good punch to the face uh, <laughs> before they both died. But look, you know who's still alive in this timeline? Baxter. Right? Yeah. 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 Just in case anybody was wondering. I'm pretty sure that Baxter's a Q. I'm just saying. Oh, you know? could be. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. But we don't know. Mm-hmm. hopefully we'll see that so uh, there was a little bit of a problem that i had with the way that tom delivered that line like we lost a lot of good people captain janeway mm. joe Kerry, Bellana. and like it's just so blasé it's so nonchalant <laughs> right it's like we, we lost a lot of good people like no it's the captain dude it's the captain you lost and,
1: right? Your and girlfriend B'Elanna, right yeah I yeah mean, you, exactly you
2: throw joe Kerry in there it's like and i'm not no disrespect to engineer Kerry, but it's like it's the captain and Volana. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we, we lost exactly. like we, we lost people, you know, it's not a big deal, but we did. Like come on, man. No, <laughs> oh no, you my, got yeah. it. And I, I don't blame that on I don't blame that on Robbie. I blame that strictly in the writing, even in the yeah. directing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. yeah. What I'm not gonna blame is the whole team for giving Harry a space camera. He's got one. I know that in today in modern society, you know, you get work phones.
2: Yeah. And people try and balance out work phones and personal phones. Mm-hmm. But in the 24th century, would that have been incorporated in a tricorder? Or would you have separate cameras?
1: You would think, because you would think that the, the technology would have shrunk down far enough to get a really great camera into even a communicator. Or, yeah, a tricorder would make sense. Yeah. But I, I guess maybe this, this is this old school thing that, now look, I will admit, I have a digital camera that Mm. is not a phone, that is not another device. Cannot tell you the last time I used it, but I've got one. Yeah, it's like, Mm. of course they work, and they work well. It's just weird, like, okay, I'm going
2: to, well, see, I have no pocket, so where am I going to stick the tricorder and my camera?
1: (laughs) Right, right. right. The space camera was pretty thin. That was actually a lot more like a smartphone, you know?
2: Right, yeah. yeah. It Mm. It looked like it. I also like the fact that that was the picture that we saw it. Earlier on, when Kess yes. looked at who she once was, and I also like her checking in on what start it was because it was start eight five six nine four seven. Oh my god, there yeah. it is! Of course, there of it course. is. Here's something that I thought was really good there was a wonderful edit sequence at timestamp 20 minutes 21 seconds. Kess shivers, and then the energy surge takes her to the next scene, and it's so mm. tightly edited, it feels like, yeah, that sells what she's going through every single time her temperature drops, the light flashes, and then she's in a completely different environment. I thought that was really well done.
1: And it takes you to this point, because so you have to have the explanation before that happens, before that edit makes sense mm-hmm. to us. Yeah. But yeah, perfectly played. Now, here we go. Now that EMH is back on his game, because he has this great line about his technology. Highly experimental, but nonetheless brilliant. Of course. That's that's yeah. the EMH that I'm here for. And I'm not going to worry about all the timey, wimy stuff, because I, I think at this point, the EMH in the past would know that he will do something in the future with that biotemporal field. So we could just not do that. But yeah. I digress. Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll put
2: a pin, a temporal okay. pin in that. Okay.
1: <laughs> Very good. Uh,
2: I thought that it was a really nice scene with Linus and Kess. I, I, I mentioned that in, in my recap where they're just talking to each other. But the only thing that was a little bit jarring is that they're so close in age that I wish that Kes's makeup was just a little bit older uh, as an O'Kampin because she and Linus looked like they were, you know, again, they were like in their, what, third year, you know, yeah. as an So yeah. it just seemed like they looked more like sisters as opposed to mother-daughter at this time. Yeah, That's I think all. you're right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I love when the containment field goes up, but the EMH has the code to be able to walk in and out of the containment field. Uh, I thought that was really, really good effect. But also yep. I loved how in, in that time when, when Cass was, um, you know, being tested for her chronoton radiation, where she started to phase out and she started to blur and become transparent. It was a sudden yeah. effect that I haven't seen on Voyager yet. And I thought that was really well done. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Then oh, it was a little strange seeing her just like in that moment after her jump being strung up in a <sighs> shuttle. And it looks like she so was getting like, tortured.
1: I know by it's Tom. So, it's so <laughs> weird, but yeah. I guess it's wonderfully alien. And uh, boy, do they have a big baby? Yeah, yeah, large, right? That uh-huh. sack on her
2: back must have been, must human. Have been <laughs> huge. Huge. Right? Um, yeah. I love seeing the the actual like surface damage on Voyager during the Krenim attack during that Year of Hell sequence. I was like, yes, okay, finally. Finally, yeah. Voyager is actually showing that it's been catastrophically damaged, you know, in yeah. some way. I thought that was actually really nice.
1: That was really cool. And then cut to the pure existential torture of uh, you keep going back in time. You end up in Club Bro Med. Right. I mean, just imagine that. Like, you see your ship getting hit, and then you end up there. That's – I can't imagine. That's, that's catastrophic yeah. psychic damage. That, right? that is what that is. Yeah. Another timestamp. So 30 minutes
2: and 31 seconds. So when, when B'Elanna comes and kisses Tom – there's a really <laughs> funny, subtle eye twitch that Jennifer has as Kess, where she's like, what's going on? It's like, I don't like this. I'm confused. I just jumped from time. And now I'm seeing this. Yeah. And you could see, like, it's just like, like that wonderful Herbert Lomb's type of reaction, like in the Pink Panther, when, you know, his clue just and starts <laughs> right. twitching his
1: eye. Yeah. 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 Love exactly. That. Now, I love the whole idea of the crenum. In this temporal torpedo, but I kept wondering, like, what does it do? Is it it so hardcore that it blows you into next week? (laughs) Is that is that what a, a temporal torpedo does? <laughs> as I can only imagine. Temporal t- torpedo, great band name. Y'all can have it. You That's can also perfect. have a spicy space cake. Right. Yeah. yeah, just go. Right. That can be your Shona Knife cover band. Mm-hmm. Uh, will be spicy space cake, and then uh, temporal torpedo can be the album. You're welcome, world. <laughs> now I, I did have to wonder, like in this moment, though. It, Kess just gave them information they didn't already have. So now think about it. They blew up the Krenim ship with that information, just boom, which they didn't or presumably wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Do we have a brand new paradox? Are we changing the timeline oh. within the change timeline? Right, because she would have been blown mm-hmm. up right along with
2: everyone else if, right. in fact, she didn't act on information that came from the future. So many timelines. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. take that. Mm-hmm. Which then Brown.
1: potentially would have prevented that future. Uh, all right, true enough.
2: Yeah. I-, I thought that uh, when the torpedo overloaded the Krenim ship, it was really yeah. dark, you know, in the effect. Yeah. But when it exploded, right before uh, it exploded, you got to see all the detail,
1: which I thought was great. Blowed up real yeah. good. It yeah, blew up real was good. Great. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, why was Neelix in a commissioned officer's uniform at that time? <laughs> I don't I had a- know. Put a pin in that. Yeah, that- that's okay. a rhetorical question. I hope that right. everyone just kind of like lit up like the Kronim ship right there.
1: Yeah. Here's another rhetorical question. Don't they have gas masks on board? Because, come on, Cass, mm-hmm. you're going down to, th- yeah, whatever. Okay. I have a timestamp at 36
2: minutes, 10 seconds, <laughs> second 47 <laughs> reference. Yeah. Right? Uh, Cass tells the EMH that the chronoton temporal variance is one47 microseconds
1: of course it had to be it had to be mm-hmm. and when she found that uh, torpedo very cool fiber optics in that prop yeah. thought that was really nice yeah. but then I also love again changing the future I, Kes just straight up avoid the cretom <laughs> like mm. sure good good plan Kes just start changing the future now mm-hmm. good idea mm-hmm. I love 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 recreating Neelix and on onboard scene from caretaker i thought that was great and i loved her little aside not again <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> perfect absolutely perfect i thought it was cool that like Janeway took the time to listen to something that is outlandish as Kess says her story was when neelix was like please be quiet don't embarrass me in front of the captain the captain's like i'm fascinated by this please tell me more yeah, so yeah yeah very janeway uh i loved so the cool. sequence when uh, when Kess from there jumped into younger younger Kess. In, uh, and met her father, and but was that the same? Was that the same set that they used from *Caretaker*? Because cast took like the crew to that Ocombin farming yeah. area, and it looked just like. It bad.
1: looked identical. Yeah, yeah. it looks super cool. So, looks like they were able to recreate it well. Yeah. And I really like that this episode took that logical extreme that you go back to Kessa's birth, her embryo, her cell splitting, all of, just very cool, mind blowing, mind bending stuff. Thought that was neat. Uh, but then I did have that question that I think you had, which is is that baby aware the way that adolescent? And adult Kess was aware of adult Kess's situation. Yeah. Yeah. Kind
2: it's, of weird, right? It's tough to kind of interpret that the way that our point of view is in yeah. the episode. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good question. Love to hear what mm-hmm. you guys think about it. Uh, I love how Janeway and B'Elanna are there at Kess's bedside when she's, you know, when she's saved. Because basically the last time Kess saw the both of them, they were dead.
1: You know they yeah. were they were blowed up and like you say yeah. blowed up real good, <laughs> right? Mm. And look at the end of this tortuous, confusing, frustrating experience in Kess's life. There is nothing like a champagne party to stand around and discuss the future with dudes and speedos. That that's what everybody is there for.
0: First time dealing with time being twisted into a knot. Don't worry, you're over the hump now. Let's see what everyone thought of this episode.
1: We'll get right back to before and after. After a word from this week's sponsor, and that is you. You've probably heard us say it before, how Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. And that is the emphasis of what we do in Discord, which is exclusive for our Patreon members. And really how it works is this, you know, Norm, you Mm -hmm. and I, we spent a lot of time watching Star Trek, taking our notes, doing this recording, and it gets shaped and edited, and and that's it, and that's our say. We get it out there to the world, and then... We get to hear what everybody else has to say. And, and really the majority and the depth of that conversation has moved from other social media spaces into Discord where we have had these beautiful, long-flowing threads of talking about everything from this week's episode of Mission Log to current Star Trek to, well, anything that's on our minds, but a lot of it to do with science fiction as well.
2: Yeah, and what I love about like these conversations – they're organic. Uh, they take the shape as they are want to do. You know, we have so many different opinions and so many different directions and so many different ways that you can take a look at a topic and explore those topics. And, and sometimes you know, I think that in the spirit of, of examining something, you know, there are going to be a lot of different opinions shared. And I think that uh, mm. what we do and what we offer on Discord is an environment where we encourage the best possible way of looking at a topic – but at the same time, though, allowing people to be able to discuss it as, as their worldview or as their purview demands. You know, so it gives it a richness and a texture and an honestness and a realness to it that uh, that isn't as caustic as other social media platforms, but it is still honest and it is still true and it still allows people to express their opinions.
1: Yeah, so if you want to have a different kind of conversation than what you may be finding elsewhere online, we would love to have you join us in Discord, and that is an exclusive perk for our Patreon supporters. Now, that isn't the only thing. When you join Patreon, uh, there's exclusive swag, there is the uncut early release shows that we drop in there, and most i would say all of those shows have a little little vam what we call a little value added material that's the bonus on top of the bonus so make sure you stick around for that as well and we want to thank everybody who has joined us very recently there's mark magritte jay will caitlin hawkeye robert thank you all so much so if you would like to join them and join us you can do that at patreon.com slash mission log again it's patreon.com slash mission log for your key to all the exclusives and the mission log discord. Norman, you brought it up earlier about Janeway and I want to reiterate a point here that I think is really kind of critical to how this episode feels and how it unfolds. And that is how good, Good. The crew is around Kess, because as many just crazy mind bending things that happen, they are all without fail, supportive, concerned. Nobody dismisses what's going on with her. Um, And I think it's really lovely to see. Now, you have to wonder. I mean, look, first of all, it was a constraint of the script. You you have to just move the story along and, and accept the reality of what's going on in the story. You have to wonder if that same grace would be afforded to somebody who was, say, not as well-known or well-liked among the crew. If it's some random key member, maybe somebody we've had a problem with in the past, then are they going to be as receptive and kind? But of course, Cass is integral, and she's always been a straight shooter from the beginning Mm -hmm. but i i think it's so nice to see and i think it also is nice to see in a way that i think this parallels a very real life thing and that is the care and concern that we do and we should show to anyone nearing an end of life if they struggle if they need help if they need direction if they need to be heard and that's what's so nice to see it's like there is discussion about what normally happens with the Ocampa physiology and psychology as it get closer to that point. But it, it's never as to say, well, you can't take anything she's saying seriously. And it, it's just nice to see. It's this really warm familial environment that they have. I'm I'm of
2: a mixed opinion about that, to be honest with you.
1: In okay, this tell me why.
2: Well, I, I see what you're getting at. and And you're mm-hmm. right that that the crew is, they're they're protective of Kess, and I think that they're supportive of what she's going through. But I think we get to that later in the episode more than earlier, because I do feel that when she is suffering from you know, the first several time jumps and then she's trying to explain to the EMH, to Tom, you know, to Chakotay, to, to Chakotay what's going on, they're like, well, maybe it's the Morologium. Maybe you don't think what you think it mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm and for me the way that it came across is like a little bit of ageism that was going on oh know, yeah with yeah with their approach and when i say their like you know the people that were reacting to her the most you know uh linus especially the emh and tom at times so it, it reminded me a lot of how in in all good things in the next generations like One of the greatest legendary episodes of all time, you know, (laughs) how the crew didn't quite believe Picard was saying what he was saying because of his age, not because it was that he was suffering from like time jumping, kind of like the way that Kess was, you know, three different eras, but it's because well, he's, he's Jean Luc Picard, but he's a little older now. He's not really quite making sense. And, you know, mm. we're not really taking him at face value, but it must be because but, he's but older. But we like him. Yeah. So we're going to go along with a- him. A- and we yeah. have, yeah. And, and he's earned yeah. our trust up to this point. But at the same time, and it's kind of like Kes, you know, I think they're being supportive because they've had this time and this relationship with her. And, and, and she's earned their trust and their loyalty up until they're like, well, you're a little older now. You know, we're not really quite sure that we are on board with what you're saying, but we'll give you the benefit of the doubt.
1: Yes, we do have that reaction from some of those people. We're also at a point, though, where the EMH has created this bio bed to help reverse these signs, which mm. it, it immediately I ask, okay, did the EMH, like, has he cured death for the Ocampa, or at least an early death for the Ocampa? Because this just sounds like a thing that, well, maybe you could scale up and you could use that on just about anybody. Oh, I'm just creating a a bed that reverses cellular aging. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I mean, we've done things like the transporter that we did with Dr. Berlasky, you know, put her in old, she comes out young. This is great. This is great. But I I was very interested in Linus's take that the EMH should not artificially extend Kess's life. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to hear this conversation in the context of, like, who is making that decision? The EMH has gone ahead with creating this device, doing the research, spending the time and resources to do so. Here's Kess concerned about what's going on, literally losing her place in time. And theoretically, if things have played out the way they normally would, simply potentially dying in that timeline. But then you have other people like Tom and Harry asserting their thoughts. Oh, well, if it was you, I would demand that the EMH do this. Yeah. I would want every effort taken to extend your life. Yeah. And all this is, Kes is not in the room. And that's happened a lot with Kess,
2: you know, in the course of like yeah. a lot of her episodes and especially in their focus episodes where a lot of people are like talking around her, but not necessarily talking like to her. And I loved that. That's that's the the point where um, I referenced her quote where like, I want to I want to make these determinations for myself. And literally like half the episode or at least when he was on the on screen, Andrew, her grandson, said. You have to believe my grandmother. She's telling you exactly what you need to hear. She's not crazy. She's not delusional. And you know. And uh, but I'm like, I, I'm glad that you brought up the aspect of life support because mm-hmm. that's a very touchy subject, especially when you think about like life support in the 24th century. And like, she didn't want to have her a comp in life extended. I mean, even uh, Linus yeah. said, "My mother's always accepted that she would only live nine years." If she's reaching to the natural end of her life, she wouldn't want extraordinary measures taken to extend it, especially not in the state that she's in now. So I'm I'm glad that that's addressed here because that's something McCoy wrestled with in Star Trek V about am I going to either make this determination for my father who's suffering from a terminal illness or find a way to prolong that in order to find a cure later. So it's a very real topic You know, and especially for people who have had to make that decision do I want to keep my loved one on life support because it's what they want or it's because what I want? You know, and I think that that's where Harry was with that. He's like, well, I would want to do that. Well, of course you would because you're not ready to let go. Right. You know, but the person who you've made that determination for
1: is. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, they, it's such a, Quick scene here, but there is a lot of depth to it and there's a lot to chew on there because, yeah, whose, whose opinion are we supposed to listen to here? Yeah. Well, I would think that it would be Kess's in that case. <laughs> By the way, I, I do want to just point out like a, a technical and production thing because like the elephant in the room here, you of hell. I mean, they literally Mm -hmm. say the year of hell in here. And yes, on Mission Log, we don't jump the timeline because it's not helpful to our discussion. It, It can just get us way off track. But as someone who remembers that there is an upcoming episode called Year of Hell, I really appreciate planting the seed here. And I look forward to rediscovering the ways that those details may or may not come back for that episode or from this, you know, that we started to get here that we may see down the road. And I know that we bust Voyager a lot for the reset button and for forgetting what happened from one episode to the next. But it's really nice to see an attempt here to let an idea germinate for a while that. Will play out and have some reference and impact later. Yeah, so I, I relate that. And but at the same, here's what's really important about that, though, and here's partly why we don't jump the timeline. At the same time, they told a self-contained story mm-hmm. that works without that knowledge, right? Just as it was for the audience in 1997 when this came out, nobody knew. The, the, so many months later there would be that so well done just as far as creating that timeline that then would have that payoff later mm-hmm. but creating a self-contained episode i mean i have watched ahead and i understand that that particular mm-hmm. episode here of
2: hell is like it's very impactful you know like in, in yeah, the series yeah. but even if i just saw it- you know, Voyager up to this point, I like how it just gives a little bit more texture and world building to what happened in this episode as an alternate reality. I was like, wow, that's extreme. And it's kind of like, yeah, you want to avoid that. So Kess's plate, you know, you want to be able to protect her so that they don't have to endure what was happening with a possible future. Um, yeah. And, and not get to that point. But as you said, in observations, you make a great point of this. The future knowledge that she brings to defeat the (laughs) Krennum, you know, does that create a tangent off of the timeline that she went back to with that knowledge in order to defeat the Krennum, which should not have happened? (laughs)
1: Do do, do you happen to uh, see Norman? I don't know if you listen to mission log. Do you remember that there Mm -hmm. was an episode that we did called futures end and there was a whole thing about the temporal prime directive and and look, even though we just learned what that is in that two part episode, which was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that classes at the Academy have already referenced how we can't mess with the timeline. So, <laughs> like, I love that this episode ends with a party at Club Bromed, and everybody's just flat out asking Kessa, okay, so what's coming up in the future? Yeah. What do we, do? I, I mean, Janeway not stepping in saying, nope, nope, can't do that, can't do that. It's just, yeah, like, let's use this tactical knowledge to our advantage here. Why not? Yeah.
2: It, it's funny, too, because she's like in the background smiling while all of this is going on. <laughs> (laughs) Um, And I can't blame Kess because, you know, Kess is not Starfleet. She didn't, you know, she didn't learn anything about the temporal accords from the Academy. You know, every time something like this happens, I think back at those two time agents, you know, that went to Cisco in that episode. (laughs) And they're just like, oh, my God. Oh, God. We have to sort all this out again. Yeah. Here's a little bit of a I'm just going to switch gears here because it's it's still a temporal issue, but. It breaks the continuity within the episode for me. So, Mm. and I I brought this up in observations. Why is Neelix in an ops uniform at 33 minutes and 43 seconds of this episode? So, at the beginning Mm. of this episode, you know we see that at the birthday party we see that Neelix is a he's a commissioned um, security officer, and it's possible that he has taken over for Tuvok. Yeah. So this is what puzzles me. When Kess sees Neelix after the first Krenim attack, prior to the mess hall being used as a triage area, Neelix is still in an ops uniform. Moments earlier, mm. we saw Tuvok at his security station as lieutenant commander, Chakotay as commander, and Jenu as captain, as it should be at that time. And we know at the beginning of this episode, there has been a change in ranks and duties after Janeway was killed. Tuvok is commander, presumably first officer, and Neelix is now security officer, and Chakotay is captain, having Uh, everyone kind of like takes that step up in rank. Yeah. So why is Neelix at this stage in the past before, you know, or during (sighs) when Janeway and Bolana were killed in a security uniform before any of this happened?
1: I, yeah, I, that is a really good question. Right? He technically shouldn't be right. unless we just think like, oh, he's just starting his training for some reason that we don't understand that doesn't logically make sense. So still, why would he have the actual uniform? Right, and I get that, and that that's very well possible
2: because he's doing all of these kind of like cross-training scenarios. But like yeah. even in, in one scenario when he was repelling, he was wearing – Repelling gear which is just field gear when you know he was like in rise when he was wearing like the maglev training uniform it wasn't an official sanctioned uniform right so now yeah it just i know and i know that people are like really norm you got to calm down but it's just one of those things (laughs) in a time travel episode that every detail every detail counts and it just kind of like tweaked me a little bit
1: yeah. yeah. See, and Norman, you know, I, I knew that maybe you weren't the biggest fan of Neelix, but I, I never thought you'd call him repelling.
0: Already a bit confused, aren't you? It's complicated. Fortunately, you're here just in time for the recap.
2: Here we are, John, at the end of the episode where we have gone before and after in a fashion in a sense, mm. in a way, mm-hmm. uh, where we have taken a look at this episode. And as we do with Mission Log, we always come after the fact and look at the morals and meanings and messages that we have mined. But before that, we're <laughs> going to take a look at if this episode did, in fact, withstand the test of time and if it does, in fact, hold up. So before we get to the morals and meanings and messages, let's see how you felt about this episode.
1: Yeah, so... There are a lot of elements at play here it 's it 's a little creepy it 's touching it 's a little weird it 's high concept. There are elements of fun and action to this, and I think most importantly it 's an episode that lets the actors stretch their skills i 'm only bummed because I know that we 're getting toward the end of our time with Kess. And this was just such a nice highlight episode for Jennifer's strengths as an actor. And we have gotten tastes of that along the way, but to really see her play this wide range was cool. The story has elements that are familiar. I mean, it's a little bit Benjamin Button. It's a little bit Memento. It's kind of like a backwards version of A Christmas Carol, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So there are all these familiar story styles, even though it's so high concept, I I think it it, it really stands up to watching a couple of times to just drink in all of that. I almost wish that this episode had the ability to play its cards a little closer to the chest, though. Now, we know right from the start that this timeline is wrong because of all the changes. Mm -hmm. And we know that we'll have to set it right again by the end. So that it takes a little bit of the fun and the disorientation out of it. But that said, it it is the kind of story that you can only really do in sci-fi. And for that, I I have to applaud the ambition here. I also applaud the departure from the sort of alien of the week stories. I, I, I just feel like we've been getting these things that are a little... Uh, either a little soap opera or we just have to create a situation on a planet to throw our characters into. But this, we get to change that around. And, and we get to put the focus on how a specific encounter affects one person. Mm-hmm. Just tell the story solely about her. And that—that that is a cool thing to be able to do in a series like this. So – I can walk away from this episode and and see how maybe because it's so weird, it isn't going to be everybody's cup of tea. But I think what they do, they do really well here. So even if you don't think it's a favorite, I think it it stitches together these stories with Kess so well and just gives us time to spend with that character and with the actor that it needs to hold up. Yeah. So uh that that that's where I'm gonna leave it with this one. How about you? Yeah, for me it was like it was almost
2: there was like almost at that level of trial. It was almost at that level of unity for me, but there were just a couple things that were kind of like holding it back. Maybe it's because and again, this is um This is coming from my perspective and and for anyone who's watched a lot of pop culture and kind of like a lot of film and cinema, you know, there's a lot of wonderful life going on here. Like you said, there's Benjamin Button. You know, for those who understand the fantasy universe, there's a lot of Merlin going on here, you know, with Mm -hmm. being able to live backwards like Benjamin Button. Um, There was also what I referenced before. There was like the next generation's all good things happening here. Especially in mm-hmm. that 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 vein of the the doddering you know, aged main protagonist, you know, that's not believed by their friends. And but the the, yeah. the cherry on this Sunday though is is cast <laughs> doing the Spock, Wrath of Khan sacrifice for the Chronoton radiation. You oh know? man! So yeah. I kind of like felt a lot. So there's a lot of familiar yeah. tropes going on, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. But for me, it kind of like holds it back from being supremely unique in its own respect we've said this before many times that when you have jennifer leon as the focus of her own episode giving Kess like the focus and, and allowing jennifer Lee to act it's magical because she's yeah. so good and it's it's unfortunate that she was so limited in her exposure as this character and and like you said we're in a few episodes of uh, closing out next like, season three and our time with Kess, and i think that's unfortunate because i think Right now, especially with this episode or the last couple of episodes, she's really peaking Mm -hmm. as a character and as an actor. So Mm -hmm. that's a little unfortunate that we won't be able to, you know, see where that goes. I really loved her natural hair. And I I think that I I read somewhere that her prosthetics and her ears were giving her problems. So they went with her natural hair. And I liked it. I thought it worked. Yeah, you know, yeah. I thought it was... help
1: hide the ears, so you don't have to do it for every scene. It looks great. Exactly. Uh, the, yeah. the,
2: the time traveling here is a little clunky. You know, we talked about some issues with like, why is Neelix wearing a security uniform? You know, throughout the yeah. course of this entire episode, it's kind of a little strange. Yeah. The O-Comp and aging. Say like, you know, there's a scene that I mentioned before between Linus and Cass when they're talking about like her motherhood, and Cass said, "You're going to be a better mother. Just, just wait." They looked a little too similar, just in close of age. So you felt like they were more like sisters than mother and daughter, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But for the most part, though, I believe that if you can look past a couple of things, and again, these are nitpicky things, you know, in my opinion, it's a very solid episode. It's definitely worth your, your, your time to watch. If for anything, just how it piques the interest of this year of hell story and the Krennum. Yeah. And it does so in that in that way where you stand up and take notice when Picard phases out of time in yesterday's Enterprise to that alternate reality, uh. right? It kind of uh. like makes the hairs of your neck stand up on end. You're like, yeah. what is this now? So <laughs> it, it's something that takes a trope that could be, you know, very like monotonous and kind of like monotone. And then all of a sudden it gives you these really wonderful nuggets of acting and some interested like, you know, story elements. You're like, all right. I can watch this. This is good.
1: Voyager has gotten really good with that tease. Yeah. I mean, think about it. That that tease with the Borg, and then the next time you see him, you just go a very different direction. Now we have this tease with Krenim, and we'll catch up to them eventually. Like, that's—dropping little nuggets like that, really, really cool. I just wish that they had been able to maintain more of these impactful, long storylines throughout. But but when you get it, it it's really nice. Yeah, yeah. It, it is just a solid episode. It really is, and it's all about the character journey. And I don't know that I really got deep morals, meanings, message other than just kind of what's there. What what's there with that character journey? I do appreciate that uh, we're able to pick apart some of his reactions to her state of mind when Kes is older, but I do like this idea of respecting your elders and truly listening and hearing somebody out when they raise – Cause for concern about a problem, I, I think that's in there, even if not everybody is on board right from the beginning and there is toward the end, because my gosh, when you show up with knowledge of an alternate timeline <laughs> the little little home court advantage there, but the same kind of message with. A Christmas Carol, or with any number of these stories that it lives from, that the future is what you make of it, that there is always an opportunity. Let your timeline unfold the way you want it to. Mm -hmm. So uh, nice to see that here in something that can... Kind of leave us all with a smile on our face at the uh, at the end of the show. What do you think, Norman? What did you pick up here?
2: Well, after like after we do what we do and in, in watching this episode several times, it was interesting to see a very clear bookend from almost one of the first quotes to one of the most last quotes. You know, like the, one of the final scenes with Kess. At the beginning of the episode, the the EMH mm-hmm. says when Kes is on the biobed, and we don't even know it's Kes on the Biobed, he said I wish I told you this before but better late than never you're the finest friend I've ever had yeah a- at the end of the episode Kes says if there's one thing that this experience has taught me Captain it's that there's no time like the present and you know it's it's not a it doesn't happen like immediately you don't see the moral immediately but when you do you're like okay that's an interesting thing and it reminded me of uh, this quote my dad always told me this quote it was a bumper sticker that he, like, pasted on our, on our refrigerator. One of, like, the, the only one ever he ever did this to. And it's a quote from Benjamin Franklin. Do not put off until tomorrow what you can do today. Of course. Right? Classic. It's yeah. a classic Benjamin yeah, Franklin yeah. quote, right? You know, and it's, uh, it's, it's very honest. You know, it's very direct. It's very clear. I mean, how many times have we said today or in the course of a week or month, I'm going to get to that. I'll call my friend uh, later. I'll yeah. call my parents later, you know, something to that effect. You know, how many times have we heard people like say that I should have done that? I could have done yeah. that if I only had the time to do that again. So we all know this. We've all experienced this. I mean, as human beings, that's, that's what we do. That's what we suffer at times. And let me put it to you this way, John, in, in a way yeah. that, that you and I and many others, and especially like Vic Fontaine, you know, mm, okay, would, one would of my favorites, this, right? right? This is Frank Sinatra, you know, in that Uh era, saying this. Uh Regrets? I've had a few. But then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do, and I saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. You're getting the golf
1: clap from me, my friend. (laughs) mission log is produced by roddenberry entertainment if you'd like to support us directly you can do so at patreon.com slash for early access to shows and the mission log discord our website is mission log podcast.com and for more star trek news and discussion visit trekmovie.com on the next mission log real life
0: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. Welcome to the Delta Quadrant. Fair warning, this is an episode where events happen out of the strict order of cause and effect. You may find it disorienting.